You know, open your Bible now, Matthew chapter 1. One we're just coming into Christmas time. I love Christmas. Who loves Christmas? Yeah, one or two. The rest are a little bit gloomy about Christmas. Well, Ben's, you know, there can be a lot of reasons why people are gloomy about Christmas. For us who are believers, every day is a great day. Amen. Every day is a great day. Why don't you read with me in Matthew chapter 1? Every day is the Christmas day for us. Day when we can celebrate Jesus and enjoy Jesus and love Him. We don't have to wait till the end of the year to do it. We can have Jesus every day. Isn't that fantastic? You can have Jesus every day, enjoy Him, walk with Him, enjoy the benefits of Him being incarnate or turned up in the flesh. He's now within us. Wonderful. But it's also a seasonal thing in the nation. And uh, so I just want to, over this next two, three weeks, just let the focus be on Jesus as we come into the Christmas season, because so many around of us are caught up on everything else but the real reason. God coming in the flesh. Let's read a few verses. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit, pregnant, and the Holy Spirit was the one who initiated it. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and obviously very troubled, not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. He wanted to break up the engagement, do it quietly, not to embarrass her. He's a good man. And while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So he's obviously thinking about it over a long period of time. And then he one night had a dream, and the angel appeared and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so all that was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, translated, God is with us, or God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her until she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Verse 21, she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I want to focus on just that verse here, call his name Jesus, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save people. He will save his people from their sins. You know, wherever we look in the Bible, you find over and over and over again, you find the words have meanings. It's an amazing book, the Bible, because throughout the Bible, they've got many things written in different ways and different forms. Above the story, behind the story, you have things like names, and the names of people often meant something. Uh, when uh, we named our children, I only got one that the Lord gave me the name for, I think. That was I was lying in my bed, and the Lord spoke, so that's a boy coming up there, and his name's Peter. Oh, well, thank you, Jesus. That's very wonderful. I'll call him Peter. But the other one we just had to pray over each time and, and let the Lord show us what the names are. But uh, biblically, uh, names had tremendous meaning. And so when you read a name in the Bible, whether it's the name of a person or a place, the name really highlighted something about the person or about the place or about what God was doing. So I encourage you when you read the Bible, look into the meanings of the names. Just get a concordance, look what the names mean. But they usually are prophetic in some kind of way. Prophetic means they reveal something spiritual or they reveal a spiritual reality. And when it's the name of a place, it'll often reveal something about that place. Like for example, uh, uh, Joshua had a major defeat at a place called Ai. Ai means ruin 
or a heap of ruin or a heap of stones, a place of ruin. Uh, uh, another man uh, had an encounter, Jacob had an encounter at a place called Bethel, house of God. So names in the Bible have got meanings, and often when you look at the name, it gives you an insight into prophetically something about the person, place, or situation. So the names of people often have these meanings, and names of people often are something, tell something about their character or about their destiny. That's why I think it's foolishness when people put stupid names on their kids, get some name off a television program. Well, man, how's that going to be a great destiny, you know, to be named after some character who's uh, full of adultery on a TV program? Hard to know why people do these things, isn't it, really? Crazy stuff. Anyway, let me give you a few names in the Bible. Just, you can look these up yourself. I'll just throw them out and just let you have a look at them. Because I want to just talk about when God changes a name. When God changes a name. When God gives a name or changes a name, it is always attached to destiny. So whenever God gives someone a name, you know there's something to do with their destiny. Whenever God changes their name, you know it has something to do with their destiny. So let's have a look. Here's a few examples of them. In Judges 11 verse 1, there was a man called Jephthah. Jephthah was, uh, had a terrible start to his life. Jephthah was born from a one-night sexual adultery uh, with his father, with an Ammonite prostitute. And uh, so he was a mixed-race boy, half one, half the other, unwanted by his mother, who undoubtedly gave him his name, of some kind of name she gave him. But the father, even though he had sinned, gave him a prophetic name. So although this boy had a very, very bad start, he was named Jephthah, which means he who breaks open, he who breaks through. And sure enough, you find God touches that young man's life, and his whole life becomes a message to the nation, and he becomes a leader that leads the nation into breakthrough. He becomes a leader that gives the nation military breakthrough. So his name, which was given prophetically, was, was associated with the destiny he had he would arise and bring release to the nation. Here's another one in uh, 2 Chronicles 29.1, the name Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a man, he was born in a time of immense corruption, moral, spiritual, political breakdown. He was, uh, his father was an adulterer. His father was an idolater. His father worshipped Satan. His father set up temples and idols of all kinds. His father ruined the land, and yet Hezekiah stood up and became a revivalist. And his name means, God is my strength, or it is God who gives strength. So when you said the name Hezekiah, you would say to us, we'd just hear Hezekiah, weird name. But what they would hear would be, God gives strength. So his name was a testimony to the work he had to do, which required great strength to revive and shift a nation out of idolatry and into revival. There's another man by the name of Josiah, 1 Kings 13 verse 2. And this was prophesied 300 years before he was born, God named him. So idolatry has filled the land. There's, there's uh, king is uh, worshiping on these altars. They're offering sacrifices to demons on these altars. And a prophet rises up and points to the, uh, the altar. And he says, God speaking. And he says, God is going to raise up a king by the name of Josiah. And he will break down the altars. And he'll burn the bones of all of these idolaters on top of them. And uh, of course, the name Josiah means... God is my foundation, or God is the foundation. So when Josiah was raised up as a king, Josiah's name meant God is the foundation for life and for a nation. 
And so he revived the nation. And so these are some examples. There's many examples in the Bible. Good and evil. There's another man there, the name of Nahash the Ammonite. His name means serpent, to hiss or to whisper. And sure enough, he was an enemy who attacked God's people. So you find this all through the Bible. It's wonderful to look through the Bible to see these things. Now, whenever there's a change of name, usually it meant something about a change in destiny. And often a name change came out of a personal encounter with God. In other words, when people encountered God, it changed who they were, how they viewed life, and they began to arise into their destiny. And often God gave a different name to them. Here's a few. There's, there's not all of them, but there's some of them. Here's one of them in Genesis 17, verse 5. Abram. You know Abram. His name means exalted father. God said, you will be called Abraham. The, the word Abraham is Abram with a the breath of God placed into it. God says, I'm going to make you a father of nations. So you're not just an exalted father, you're a father of nations. Now notice this, he fathered no one when God changed his name and said you'll be a father of nations. God used the name, what was spoken over him, to be a prophetic declaration of who he'd be. I wonder what's being spoken over your life that declares who you are and who you'll be. Genesis 17, verse 15 to 16, Abram's wife, her name was Sarai, meaning princess. And God changed her name to Sarah, meaning a noble woman. So out of the encounter with God, one, she became pregnant not long after that. And two, she became raised to become a woman of nobility and of great stature, suitable to be married to a man to be father of nations. Genesis 35, 18, there's another example of someone. And uh, this is where Rachel, the Rachel had a very, very bad pregnancy. And it ended up with her dying. So she died immediately after she gave birth. A tragedy for Jacob. Terrible tragedy when a mother dies in giving birth to a child. So we don't know what complications there were. We do know that Rachel, who Jacob loved deeply, died on giving birth. And the, the process must have been very painful for her because she called the son that was born Benoni, meaning uh, the word Ben meaning a son, the son of sorrows. So she literally put on him her own pain. Very often in life, people put upon their children their own pain and brokenness by the words they speak. Many times people speak words or cursings. They use nicknames. They call people names. They say things about them. Dummy or, you know, call people by big ears. Or, and they use words which begin to shape the way the person sees himself and the way they live their life. And it comes out of the person's own brokenness. I love what this uh, Jacob did. Jacob stood up and he instead overrode that name. And he gave a different name. He said, no, we're changing that name. This child will not be called son of sorrows. This child will be called Benjamin, son of my right hand, a blessed son. Now you see, there's the heart of faith. There's a prophetic man speaking prophetic name over his child, calling forth a different destiny. So you see, right through the Bible, names were very much attached to destiny and often prophetic utterances over a person. In Matthew 16, verse 17 and 18, remember uh, P uh, Peter? Uh, of course, we know Peter the apostle, but you do know what his original name was. It was Simon. His parents called him Simon. Simon means the one who hears. And Simon actually had his ears opened by God. He got revelation. He received revelation who Jesus was. And Jesus said, now I'm calling you Peter, rock. 
and I will build on you because you have opened your heart to revelation. So his name was known as Peter from then on. You read through the Bible, even two books written after him, first and second Peter, not first and second Simon. How did that happen? He had an encounter with the Lord, a revelation of who Jesus was, and out of that his name, his destiny changed as well. I wonder what encounters you've had and how they've shaped and affected you. Here's another one. In Acts chapter 4, verse 36, you find a guy by the name of Joseph. Very, very notable man in the New Testament. I wonder how many people know him. Most people don't know him by that name. Joseph means God adds. Joseph was a generous man, a giver. But the apostles said, no, they gave him another name. They called him Barnabas, son of a prophet. So they they saw in him as a, 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 the beginnings of a prophetic ministry, a ministry of encouragement. So they called him son of encouragement, or they called him son of a prophet. Or in other words, they spoke over his life a destiny that he would be an encourager with a prophetic gift around his life. What a great thing to carry a name that encourages us to live out a destiny. What a great thing to have words of destiny spoken over us. There's another name that you, uh, I wonder how many people would know the name Oshia. Probably not many know the name Oshia. But he was renamed by Moses by the name you would all know him, Joshua. Oshia means salvation. But Joshua means God Almighty is our salvation. So he became the captain of the hosts of God. He became the captain. There's only two guys by the name of Joshua in the Old Testament. One of them was the captain of the armies of the Lord that led God's armies to conquer. What a great name. God is our salvation. God gives us breakthroughs. Yeah, the other one was Joshua the high priest. And isn't it interesting that Jesus, they said his name shall be called Jesus, which literally means Jehoshua or Joshua. God is our Savior. God is our salvation. Now call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So Jesus' name is attached to his mission. Now what happens, because we used to hear the name Jesus, so we immediately sort of have a sort of a setting. You know, you think, Jesus, okay, Jesus, holy. Yeah? But you see, for those who knew the language, what, what they would be hearing every time is, Savior, Savior. What's your name? Savior. What's your name? The one who saves. God is our salvation. God is our salvation. God is our salvation. Salvation, wherever he introduced himself. What's your name? Savior. What's your name? Savior. What's your name? Savior. Everywhere he goes. What is your name? Savior. Why? Because he's sent to save people from their sins. So his identity, his name described who he was, who he is, also described what he does. He is the Savior, and all men need a Savior. Everyone needs a Savior. Everyone needs a Savior. Now call his name Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. So his name, his identity is attached to how he would live out his life and what he would do while he's on this earth. His name is vitally linked to why he came to the earth. Of course, there's another name there, Emmanuel, too. If you go into that, you can look at that. I just want to focus on Jesus. The word save most people think save. Well, you maybe think save in the bank, you know, or save at a sale. But save, we think save. Well, it means I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. But the Bible word for save means a lot more than that. So when they used the word for save, the original language said he will save his people. 
That meant he will rescue them out of impossible situations. He will deliver them from demonic powers they could never break free of on their own. He will rescue them from the power, presence, and cursing of sin. He will restore and heal the brokenhearted. He will heal people who are physically sick. So when you heard that word save, if you were living in those days, it meant all of those things. Save. Oh, yeah. Rescue, heal, deliver, put together, restore back to working condition, make it all right. That's what it means. That's why they call his name Jesus, because he'll save people from the impact of sin. Brokenheartedness, loneliness, shame, grief, rejection. You look at all of these problems of humanity. Every problem that we have needs a Savior. Now call His name Jesus because He'll save His people from their sins. So people need a Savior. Everyone must have a Savior. That's why He came. He came to be a Savior. Sometimes we have this idea that somehow people are going to get through just fine. You walk down the street, you see people you know. We mix with people we know. How many of you know they need a Savior? They need a Savior. They may not know they need a Savior, but they need a Savior. In Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. All. There's no one left outside that. That's every person. Every person. That's everyone sitting here. All of us. See, sometimes we have a tendency to look and think, well, you know, we kind of categorize some people better. Actually, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. Sin means literally we've missed the mark. We missed what God intended for us in one way or another, often in many ways. Fallen short of the glory of God. It's like saying this, this is really what's happened is what God intended for us to live like and to be like and to, uh, to do and accomplish in the earth, we've all of us fallen short of that or in some way lacking in filling that. And we all need a Savior. God chose you to be a kingly person. God chose you to be an ambassador for heaven. God chose you to be clothed and filled with His glory, to carry His presence, to hear from heaven, to bring His life to others, to have an impact on the earth. God chose you for all of those things. But all of sin, we've all sinned and fallen short of that in some way. That's what sin does. We actually don't carry the glory of God like we should do. Did you realize you're called to carry the glory of God? And so for every one of us, there's an awareness in our heart something's not right, something's missing. You, you can't get away from it. People try and fill it with every kind of thing. They try and fill it with alcohol and relationships, money, achievements, all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, there's a place there where the person knows, I'm not matching up. Something's missing. I'll tell you what it is. It's not carrying the glory of God. It's not carrying what God intended us to carry. A kingly majesty because His presence is with us. All have sinned and fallen short of glory of God. And then in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death or separation or isolation. I've asked many people and talked with many people and there wouldn't be any of us at times haven't felt a dense, deep sense of loneliness, emptiness inside. Sometimes emptiness and loneliness are hard to kind of sort of sort out which is which. But most, most people look outside to try and find the reason why they feel like they do. Most people look out and say, well, you know, people aren't nice to me, or people should do this, or people should do that, which is actually a victim way of thinking. But for most people, the cause of a lot of loneliness is actually sin that somehow has separated us from ourselves and separated us from God 
and built walls in the heart so we don't carry the glory of God like we ought to. You see, if we were carrying the glory of God, we'd walk like Jesus and overflow with love and ministry to people. We would connect with people who are unlovely, we'd not have any problem in reaching across to them and showing them unconditional love and acceptance. We wouldn't have any trouble doing that. Why? Because the glory of God would be filling our lives. So the degree to which we really suffer and experience loneliness, it reflects just how much we need a Savior. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. Why do we need a Savior? Well, here's what happens, of course, is we try and save ourselves. Everyone tries to save themselves. There's no one here. One, there's, there's some things are really sure. One thing is everyone here has sinned, and another thing is everyone's tried to save themselves. Absolutely. And probably the vast majority are still trying to do it. Still trying to save himself. When what we need is a Savior. He, he, his name is Jesus, for He will save. So either He's going to save or you will save. But it can't be both. So if you're going to save yourself, then He can't save you. No matter how much He has given and done on your behalf, there comes a point we have to make a decision to let go trying hard. And what happens for many people when they become a Christian is to become a Christian, they first trust in the Lord. Lord, I, Lord lean on you to save me. And so we're, it's wonderful. The joy of the Lord comes. The presence of God starts to come. And then now we have to walk through life and grow and change. Now we go back to the old way. And here's the plan that we've always followed. I'll save myself. I will try hard. And when that doesn't work, I'll try harder. If it doesn't work, I'll try harder still. Or if that doesn't work, I'll quit and go somewhere else because the problem must be outside me. What we don't think of is maybe that the trying is not the way at all. You know, in uh, Galatians, Paul wrote the Galatians. He said, hey, Galatians, how did you get born again? How did you get saved? Was it by working hard at this thing? Did you really try so hard? No, 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 it wasn't. It was because you heard the Word of God and you believed. How does God move in the Spirit? How does He work miracles? How does He flow among us? Is it by being good, trying hard? No, it isn't. It's actually by believing. By grace are you saved through believing, not working hard. Yet I would guarantee there'd be lots of people here and you are working so hard, trying so hard to be good, to do these things that will make God happy. And yet the core of what happens is we shift from just simply our trusting in and leaning on and knowing our need for a Savior to trying hard to save ourselves. We try hard to run our money. So we don't let God come into it. We don't put it in His hands. We're going to save ourselves financially. A lot of stress in that. Eh? Or we have perhaps something happened to us in the past and, and, uh, and we had some terrible experience and really hurt and broke our heart. So what do we do? Well, we put a wall around ourselves and save ourselves. I was talking with one person a little while ago and, and they opened up their heart and they shared of these terrible, empty, terrible things. I just felt like weeping inside as I heard these terrible things that happened and, and then what had gone on in the person's life. And I said, how did, you, how did you cope and how did you survive? And we tried to work out what this person had done to survive. And they'd built walls around their heart and they built all this kind of defense system. I said, well, that was great. That's all you could do, you know, save yourself because you didn't know about a savior. But now you don't have to do that. I know you've given your life to Jesus, but there's another part of your life in your soul where you're still wounded, hurt, and you're saving yourself. You need a Savior. And isn't it amazing that on the cross, Jesus carried our sorrows, He carried our rejections, our grief, our shame. He carried our sins, He carried our iniquities, He carried our sins. He carried everything. You don't have to carry this stuff, you know. You can come to Him. But here's the deal. You can't save yourself. 
if you try and save yourself, you've got no room for him to come in and help you whatsoever. You'll just try hard. And it'll be very frustrating. Because God has sent someone, his name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so we just drew a cross and looked at all the efforts the person had made and then just began to look at the word of God. By grace you save through faith. Say, therefore being justified by faith, we have access into this grace. It's the believing and trusting that what Jesus did is totally enough for me if I can lean on it and lean on him. It's an amazing thing. And so that day, that person opened up their heart. God came into a terribly painful situation in their life. Here's the amazing thing. They'd, they'd tried to save themselves for all these years, and in a moment of time, Jesus stepped into that memory and appeared to the person comforted them and healed them and then spoke a word that broke the lies they'd believed all those years isn't that wonderful oh how we need a savior how we need a savior we need a savior but you see we just forget all the time we need a savior we forget the name Jesus is savior the one who saves he's the one I need to be focused on am I in trouble am I in difficulty stress pressure Oh, he's a savior. He's my peace. He's, he's everything that I need. When you have him, you're complete in him. Now, here's the thing I'll finish with. Remember I talked about when you encountered God, that how people often got a name change? Well, when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, got born again, what did you become? You become a, a Christian. You got a name change. Christian, when you gave your heart to follow Jesus Christ, uh, to follow Jesus Christ means that you set your life, you lay your old life on, uh, on hold. It's gone. When you got water baptized, you buried the old life and said, I'm living a new life. It's a new life centered around Jesus, around his priorities, around his word, around his truth, around him. See? And he is Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. And you got the anointing of the Holy Ghost on you. So now you are an anointed one. And with that name change, get this, here's where we finish. With that name change, came an identity change. You are no longer that old sinner. You are no longer that old bad person. You're a wonderful new creation in Christ. And not only that, not only that, look at this. You now have a destiny. You now have something God is calling you to do. You are now called to represent Jesus in the earth. And so others can come to know. They call his name Jesus for he saves people. He still saves people. Church, we need to remember that he saves people. We need to remember he saves people. You need to let him save you afresh from struggles and fears and hurts and anguish and soul. And you need to carry him to others. And don't be ashamed. People need a savior at Christmas time. They need him every time. They need him all through the year. But right now we're entering a season where people get very religious. They have all the songs and dances and parties and buy present, all kinds of things. It's all wonderful. I love it all except when it goes overboard. But here's the thing, in the middle of it all, people just lose sight that it's all about the need we all have for a Savior. That's what Christmas is about, a Savior. Men needing a Savior. Our city needs a Savior. Your friends need a Savior. You need a Savior. Let's bow our heads.
I feel his presence here. Savior. 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 I wonder with our eyes closed and heads bowed, I wonder if there's any person here has never actually made a commitment to Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're living a life without God. You're having a destiny which is more terrible than you could possibly imagine. But you're alone in life without a sense of purpose because you're not connected to the God who made you, created you, and designed you for purpose. It's sin that's separating you. God sent His Son, Jesus. They call Him Jesus, for He saves people from their sin. Died on the cross for your sin, rose from the dead, and He lives now to save you. But it requires a response. If you're here today and you've never made a personal response to Jesus Christ, or if you're trying to live a good life, well, it's wonderful to try and live a good life, but you'll find you're falling short continually of what God's best is for you. What you need now is a Christ life. You need God to put His life in you as a living seed to change you from the inside out. All religions just trying to change yourself from the outside in. It's about trying to do the right stuff and look right and perform right, but it, we need a Savior. I wonder if you're here today and you're ready to receive Jesus as your Savior. Why don't you just raise your hand? Let me know. I don't want to become a Christian today. I want to give my life to Jesus. Please just raise your hand. If there's anyone here, anyone here today, and you're right at that point of decision, just raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now. Any person at that point, you need to make that decision to receive the Lord, to become a Christian. Just raise your hand quickly right now. Any person here, you sense you've walked a long way from God, you need to come back to Him today come back to your Savior. You may be thinking, well, I've done so many bad things. Hey, listen, you need a Savior. What are you going to try and do? You're going to do more bad things to try because it's out of control? Why don't you come to a Savior? What are you going to try and do? Try and fix your life up before you come to Him? Hey, listen, He died on the cross for your sins. Just come to Him. What if there's anyone here today and God's putting it on your heart to return to Him? Why don't you just raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I need to return to the Lord. Anyone here today? Needing just to return, to respond, come back to Him. Finally, last thing. I wonder how many people sense today a great need to let others know of their need for a Savior. Please put your hand up and say, God, I feel you pressing on my heart again to reach out to people again and again and tell them of the Savior. God bless. So many hands responding. Father, we just thank you. We sense the presence of Jesus here. You have said if we will lift his name up and exalt him, then, Lord, you will come here and you'll be with us. So we feel that presence now. We thank you. Lord, we just pray for a harvest of souls over this Christmas season. Pray, Lord, for great anointing to flow in the outreach into the park, for many people to be touched by the gospel. And, Father, we pray for a, a, a passion for the gospel to rise in the heart of every believer in Bay City a passion for the gospel, an understanding of the power of the gospel, and a willingness to carry the gospel to every part of our city. And everyone said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap, shall we?